Well, it is hard to believe, but we're at the end of this year. Another Christmas has passed, and we have just a few more days left in 2014. So we come to the end of the year where it's normal for everybody to kind of take stock, look at their lives, and then what does everybody do on New Year's Day? Make what? New Year's resolutions, right. So does anybody know what the number one New Year's resolution is? Lose weight. That's it. The number one New Year's resolution is to lose weight. And so I guess what happens is, is we start at Thanksgiving, and we go to Christmas, even this morning having big breakfast here, and we eat a lot and decide finally at the end of that that, well, we're going to have a six-month checkup with a doctor soon, so we need to get you know, a little lower so he doesn't fuss at us or, or whatever. This is the normal time of year where, where we take stock. We kind of look at our lives and check to see how things are going. And that, that's pretty common, right? You know, we, uh, we do that in the, the financial realm. We take a look at our budget, decide, well, can we afford this next purchase? Or do we, are we on the right track toward retirement? Or if we're in retirement, will our money last through retirement? Businesses do that, take stock at the end of the year. Where are we as a business? Where are we going? And I think it's a good thing for us to do spiritually as well. To take a time of examination at the end of the year, to take a look, to say, where am I now and where am I going this upcoming year? You've probably heard the saying, that the unexamined life is not worth living. Everybody heard that before? Supposedly Socrates said that uh, when he was condemned to death for his philosophy. Now, I don't know if I exactly agree with that 100% that the unexamined life isn't worth living. But I would say this, that the unexamined spiritual life is a deficient spiritual life. And, And here's what I mean by that. Each of us, wherever we are in our spiritual walk, whether we've been a Christian for just a few years or we've been a Christian for 50 years, we're all on this upward trajectory of growing toward Christ-likeness, right? We're moving upward toward Christ-likeness, but none of us have arrived there yet. We'll only reach that place of being conformed to the image of Christ when we stand before his presence in glory. So each of us, no matter where we are, are moving forward in this process of sanctification. And so it's good for us to stop sometimes and say, where am I? What in my life perhaps shouldn't be there? Where do I need to be growing uh, as a believer? And so I think it's very biblical for us to, this morning, stop and take stock of where am I in my walk with the Lord? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take some time where we just enter into a time of examination, opening up our hearts before the Lord and saying, God, search me. Search me and know my heart and show me what is there. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a a, a psalm that reflects on the knowledge of God. And at the end of this psalm, David prays a prayer that probably most of us have heard before. He prays for God to search him and to know his heart. And so my aim this morning as we look at this psalm, and really just the last two verses primarily, 
My aim is that we'll do exactly what David does. Is that we will pray this prayer in honesty. Asking God to examine our lives. To search us. To show us. And to lead us in the way uh, everlasting. So open your Bibles to Psalm 139. And I want you just to hear verses 23 through 24. And we'll, we'll back up in just a minute and look at the rest of the psalm, but I want you to just hear this now. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Now this is how the psalm ends. This is what David prays at the end of this psalm. But as he starts this psalm, we need, to, we need to go back to the beginning of it to see what leads him to this prayer. Because what drives him to this prayer is all the rest of this psalm. And when we get what the rest of this psalm is saying, it'll help us drive ourselves into this kind of prayer where we ask God to search us. So let's start back at the beginning of this psalm. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that God's knowledge of us leads us to this kind of prayer. God's knowledge of us leads us to this kind of prayer for God to examine us. So start back at the beginning, Psalm 139. Just listen to these first six verses. Uh, Brother Mike already read these. I wanted him to, I wanted you to hear that, but I want you to hear it again this morning. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. So remember what I said just a minute ago, that the, the reality of God's perfect knowledge of us eventually leads David to this prayer at the end of the psalm. So first of all, we see that God's knowledge of us is all-encompassing. God's knowledge of us is all-encompassing. So what's the bottom line of these verses right here? God knows everything about us. He knows our ways. He knows our heart. He knows everything that there is to be known about me and about you. His knowledge is all-encompassing of us. And so the second thing that we're going to see in these next verses is that God's presence is everywhere. So now let's pick up in the next verses, starting at verse 7. God's presence is everywhere. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. If God knows everything, where can we go in which we are outside of his presence? Nowhere. God's knowledge is all-encompassing and God's presence is everywhere. And so God is always with us is the point that David is making here. It's a point that you know, that you recognize. You've learned since you were two or three years old that God is always with you. But David says, where can I go? If I ascend to the highest height, you're there. If I go down to the, the deepest depth, you're there also. You're always with me. You know everything about me. 
the first seven, six verses that we looked at, and now the next five or six verses, you're always with me. And, and so now this leads to David thinking about God's providence, God's work in his life. And so the third thing here is God's presence in our lives is total. God's, or God's providence in our lives is total. He is always at work in everything in our lives. There is not a single thing that happens in your life or in my life in which God's hand is not at work. Not a single thing. Listen to how David describes this. Starting at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have, have seen my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days of my life, that, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So David talks about from the beginning to the end of his life, from the time that he was formed in the, new, in the womb, when he was knit together in his mother's womb, and then that God knows all the way to the end of his life, that all those days are written in God's book. And so the point that David's making here is that God knows everything about him. We've already talked about that. God's presence is always with him, and God's providence is always at work in David's life. Not a single thing happens from conception to the day he breathes his last breath in which God is not working intimately in his life in every single thing that happens. And so now David, having thought about this, is led to respond. You see, you can't have this knowledge of God's omniscience, of God's omnipresence, of God's total work and control in your life and not respond in some way. So that's what David does. David responds in this overflow of joy and, and thanksgiving and praise to God for God knowing him this way and working this way in his life. And so that's what he does in the next verses, verse 17 and 18. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This knowledge of God's intimate connection to him is better than words can describe. And so that when he wakes, it seems it's too good to be true that it would be a dream. But when he wakes, the reality that truth is still there. That God's knowledge of him is total. That God's providence is, is everything in his life. And God's presence is always with him. And so there's this rejoicing that David has. But also leads to another response. At least this hatred of sin. Because thinking about this knowledge of God, God knowing everything, this perfection of God, leads David to just to hate the thought of someone being opposed to God. And so that's what he, that's what he writes about in the next verses. Pick up in verse 19. And that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Those are strong words. Strong words that David gives. Why would he, why would he do that right here? In the midst of this psalm where he's been 
just rejoicing about God's knowledge and about God's presence? Well, it's because he recognizes the reality of God's perfect knowledge, the reality of God's perfection, and it leads him to see God's perfection and then the sin of others and to hate that there would be those who are opposed to God. So this knowledge of God leads to a response. David rejoices over it, but then there's also a hatred, this kind of outward focus of the sin that he sees around him. And so now that leads us to this time of prayer that David comes to. You see, where David's been looking outward, looking outward and seeing, I hate the sin that's around me, it's impossible for him to know that God knows everything and that God's always with him. God's always at work in his life and then not also to look inward. So think about this. If God knows everything about you and if God is always present with you and if his providential work in your life is all-encompassing, so it's in every aspect of your life, does that not drive us then to pray the same prayer that David does, asking God to examine us, because he knows the deepest depths of our hearts. He knows all those things that are within us. And so David asks, God, search me, know my heart, know the things that are in me. We're going to pray that in just a minute. We're going to focus on that as kind of our closing time. But before we get to that, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that this prayer that David prays is no small thing. It's no small thing to come before God and pray this before a holy God. And, and, and here's why. There, there are two ways that we can examine ourselves. Number one, we can examine ourselves with our own eyes where we take a look at ourselves and use our own eyes, our own understanding, and look at ourselves and say, what is it in me that I see that is not pleasing to God? What is it in me that is not right, that God would not be pleased with? Now, that's a, that's a good thing to do. I think it's good for us to look at ourselves, look inwardly, and see what is it that's in us that would not be in accordance with walking in fellowship with Christ. But is that what David prays here? Does David pray, God, I want to see what's in me. I'm going to look within me. That's not what he prays, is it? Who does he ask to search and look within him? God, right? He asks God to look. So, so there's two ways that we can examine ourselves. We can examine ourselves with our own eyes. Or we can be examined with God's eyes. So the one who has perfect knowledge of us, always at work in our lives, and is always with us, David asked God to search him and to know him and to look within him. Now, the, this is a difficult thing to do. It's not easy to ask God to do this. We would much rather look at ourselves with our own eyes. But see, the problem is, it's easy for us 
to miss things that are in our lives. A lot of times we think perhaps more highly of ourselves than we should, or perhaps we miss the things that are there. Uh, a lot of you know that over the past uh, couple years, I, I've gone back to school. And uh, over this past semester, it was just killer. The, the professors just loaded me up with almost more work than I could imagine. And, and it was honestly the busiest time that I have ever experienced in my life. Uh, and so when you have so much going on, there are some things that you just kind of let fall to the side. And so one of the things that I really just kind of didn't worry too much about was, was really just kind of picking up after myself. Now I would, before, before anybody throws a shoe at me or something, I get in too much trouble, uh, I, w- I would make sure that, you know, stuff where company would come. I would make sure I picked up that stuff. But the inner sanctum of my room where I had the desk and my books and everything like that, that wasn't exactly picked up. I, I kind of left the, my hundred books laying there and papers over here, and my wife had her nice clean spot on her side over there. But when it came to my spot, it was just whew, books and papers and everything else. And you know what, after a while I didn't think anything about it. Because I just got used to seeing my pile of books and my papers and my laptop and and everything else that was there. But when the semester was over and all that work was done, I kind of looked and it's like, man, I am a slob. What have I done? And so I had to spend the last week, you know, kind of cleaning up from where I just let things go. Because I just kind of got used to having a stack of books and papers and everything. Well, the same thing can happen spiritually in our lives, where we can miss things that, that are there that maybe others could see really clearly. But maybe there's an ungodly attitude that's within us that we just aren't noticing. Or maybe there's a, a lack of compassion, lack of concern for the lost. Lack of concern for the poor. Spiritual apathy. And these things are in us, but we're not noticing them because we've gotten used to them within our own lives. And so that's why we have to come before the Lord and say, here's what I, not what I see, God, but I'm, God, I'm asking you to search me. Because there are things that I'll miss. There are things that I won't see. Because I have a sinful heart, and I have eyes that can be blind, and I will miss the things that are there. But I need a holy God who sees everything in my life, and who is always with me, and is always working my life. I need Him to search me, and look within, and point out those things that are within me, so that those can be cleansed and removed. We need God shining that searchlight within us, because we will miss it. But here's the thing. It is... No small thing to ask God to do that. And it is a scary thing to ask holy God to point out what is in us that is displeasing to him. You see, I don't think any of us like having our flaws pointed out. I don't think any of us like seeing the, the sin and the wickedness or the, the evil or whatever it is that's within us. We don't even like it when we embarrass ourselves, right? I don't want to go up to somebody and say, Hey, you know, would, Barry, would you tell me everything that you see within me that, that's just not right? 
And that's, that's, an, that's a difficult conversation right there because we don't like those things being pointed out. Uh, I, was in, I was in Kroger just a, a couple days ago, and I was getting the orange juice and milk and cups and plates and all that kind of stuff uh, for our breakfast this morning. And it, it started to rain while I was in Kroger. And, and so I was going out, and I had my shopping cart totally full. I mean, it was mounded over and plates and everything that was there. And so I had parked just a little bit away, and it was coming down pretty good. And so I thought, I need to kind of hurry along through the parking lot. And so I was pushing my cart at, I wasn't running, but I was moving at a good pace. Now somebody, some engineer, I don't know who, who it was, but he probably did this on purpose. There is a grate, a storm grate, in the Kroger parking lot. And it's spaced just perfectly so a shopping cart's front wheels will fall in it. Now, let me tell you what happens when you are moving at a good, fast pace, pushing a cart, and the front wheels go into it. Front wheels smacked into it, and the back of the cart went up, and I went up. Stuff went flying, and I nailed my shins into the shopping cart. I thought I broke my legs. I, and, and stuff went flying out of the cart, and I'm just rushing and grabbing. You know what my first thought was when I did that, other than I think I broke my legs? I hope nobody saw me. <laughs> but of course, everybody, all the cars are like, just kind of looking, what happened to this guy? Uh, none, of us, none of us like our flaws being exposed. And so it's, it's no small thing to go before holy God who sees everything in your life, even the things that you don't see right now, and say, God, search me and show me the things that are in there that I don't see right now. So David does that. David comes to the end of the psalm as he's been writing about God's knowledge, and here's what he prays. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now it says there, search me and know my heart. David's not just asking God to know him. To search him. God already knows everything about him. And so when he says, search me and know my heart. What he's really saying is, God, search it and show me. Show me what is in my heart that is displeasing to you. Show me my anxious thoughts. Show me my heart. See if there is any hurtful way in me. Show me if there is anything that is within me that brings you pain. Show me if there is anything within me that would be displeasing to you, that would be grievous to you? Is there a thought in my, in my mind that is not honoring to you? Is there an inclination of my heart that is displeasing to you? Am I focused on the things of this world and not on the things of, of you? Is my heart given over to loving something else other than you? Is it that my heart has grown apathetic and the fact is I'm just not really focused on you or caring about you right now? 
What is it that's in my life that should not be there, that you need to cleanse out, cut out, so I will be honoring to you and pleasing to you, and I will walk in the way that is everlasting? That's what David's praying. That's what I want us to pray this morning. To ask God to search us and to show us and to see what is in us. But before we do that, before we do that, I want to, just, I want to point out just a couple things. See, there, there are two contexts where this kind of searching can take place. First of all is an individual context. An individual context in which we're asking God to search within us as individuals. Where you go before the Lord and you pray this prayer for God to work within you. Asking God honestly to lay bare before you and to point out the things that are painful to him, that are dishonoring to him, and asking him to point that out so that it can be cut out of your life. So that's the, the, that's the first context, an individual context. But the second context is a corporate context. A corporate context in which we as a body do this. See, here's something that I don't know if we recognize enough. Even though we are individuals, God has spiritually united us together as a body. That that if you are a part of grace, believer, brought into membership here, then you you are spiritually united in a way that that perhaps goes beyond what we can fully explain. In such a way that what happens to the individual affects the whole so that our spiritual growth our sanctification doesn't have ramifications on just us as individuals but on the church as a whole and so what we may not think of is that our own struggle with sin may impact the whole body and so as we think about this i want us to pray Asking God to show us as individuals, God, search me. Show me what is within me that would be dishonoring to you. But at the same time, saying, God, do this same work in us as a body. God, search us as a body. Show us what would be dishonoring to you. Work in us individually so that it plays out in the body for your honor and glory as you search within us. Now, this is no small thing. But this is what I'm asking. This is what I'm asking you to pray this morning. So right now, we're not going to belabor this point. You probably don't need, you probably don't need me to explain any more about what these verses say. It's pretty simple. Probably what we need to do is just do it. To pray what's here. So that's what I, what I want to ask you to do. So if you would, everybody just, we would just bow our heads. We're just going to take a time of prayer together. Musicians are going to come up. We'll have our, our normal invitation commitment to, uh, hymn here in just a few minutes, but we're going to take a time just for prayer. 
just for us to pray and ask that God would would search us and show us. So if you would, just remain where you are. And I want to lead us in a time of prayer. First of all, we're going to focus on our individual lives. So where you are, ask God to search you and show you your sin. Ask Him to show you any way that is within you that is displeasing to Him. God to search you and to show you your heart. To show you what is really in your heart. Ask Him to reveal that any spiritual apathy that might be there, any pride. Maybe perhaps as hear in Revelation that maybe you've lost your first love toward the Lord. Ask Him to search you. Search your heart. pray that God will lead you in the everlasting way. To lead you step by step in the way that would be pleasing to Him in all that you do. Pray that God will give us, as a body, a longing for holiness. Longing for walking in a way that is pleasing to Him in all that we do as a church. Second, pray that God will guard us as a church against spiritual apathy.
third, pray that God will bring about true revival in our midst. An awakening and a work that can only be explained by His Spirit working among us. stand is where you are now. We're going to have our, our hymn of commitment. You respond as the Lord's leading. Perhaps God is leading you just to continue on in prayer and, and asking God to search your heart. Perhaps you need to come forward and you want to pray right here. If you'd like to talk with me or someone else, please do so. But just respond as the Lord is leading you as we sing together.